Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians is an often neglected book. It's kind of like the sequel to a good movie. We always assume that number two couldn't be as good as number one. And that's pretty evident by the commentaries that are written on these two books. 1 Corinthians has tons of commentaries. 2 Corinthians has very few. And I really think that's a shame because the theme of 2 Corinthians is one that is so needed today. And that theme is authentic Christianity. And I trust that if you're a believer here today that that's your heart's cry. That you want your Christianity to be authentic. And the key to authentic Christianity is found in the chapter we're going through right now. Verse 6 says that God, the God who said, let there be light, has put the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in our hearts. And verse 7 says, it's a glorious treasure but He has chosen to put it in common clay pots, which is your body and my body, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be from God and not from us. And let me stop right there and tell you, that is authentic Christianity. Anything else is not authentic Christianity. If it's your power living the Christian life, that's not authentic. He chose to put the treasure in your clay pot so that it would be all His power and none of yours. That's when you're authentic. And how do people see His power? How does the light of His glory shine through me? Well, that's verses 8 and 9. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. How do people see the light? When we're cracked pots. When we're like Gideon's pot who had the light inside and people didn't see it until the pot was broken. And the more broken you are, the more God shines out of you. Now what is it that people ought to see shining out of the cracks in your life. We say, well, Jesus' life or the light of the Gospel. That's kind of abstract in a way. What is it that people ought to see shining out of the cracks in your life? Well, in verses 12-15, to 15, I have picked out five things that ought to be obvious in your life and most obvious in the cracks of your life. Through your flaws, your weaknesses, your brokenness, Five beautiful things should become visible. And those five things you can see in these verses, I've listed them in your bulletin. The first is life. Look at verse 12. So death works in us, but life in you. Now verse 12 really ties in with verses 10 and 11 that we looked at last time where Paul really gives us the paradoxical principle of authentic Christianity. Look at verse 10 again. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, 
so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. Verse 11, For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. What's the principle? The key to experiencing Jesus' life is experiencing Jesus' death. The prerequisite for resurrection is dying. Jesus gave this same principle Himself when He said, whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. So it's through death that Jesus' life is manifest in Me. So let me ask you this. When does Jesus' life shine brightest in you? Well, when you have the right attitude, which is given in verse 10, that is, you carry around in you identification with Jesus' death. This is kind of a theological thought. You have this attitude that says, I have died with Christ. You have the attitude that Paul had when he said, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. You have that attitude in you. Secondly, you have the right activities. And that's verse 11. It says, you're being delivered over to death by circumstances. What circumstances? The ones he listed in verses 8 and 9 that crack you open. So you have the right attitude. You have the right activities. Those things that are happening in your life, you're allowing them to crack you and reveal what's inside. But thirdly, you have the right actions. And that's in verse 12. Look at it again. So death works in us, but life in you. How do I act out this principle? Well, I think Paul illustrates it here. Because he was willing to experience death if it meant life for someone else. You see, this principle works in you individually. When you die, you experience life, but it also works in, in and through you to other people. When you die to yourself, other people actually experience the life of Christ. You see, it works in your body, but it also works in the body of Christ. And when you look at the expression in verse 12, it really captures the life of Christ because what is it that Jesus did with His life? He laid it down for others. So the most selfless act that you can do is to lay down your life for other people. Nothing more selfless than that. Jesus said it was the pinnacle of love. Greater love has no one than this, that one do what? Lay down his life. If you're a husband here, you're to do that for your wife. You're to lay down your life for your wife. I hope you do it for your kids. The question is, are you doing it for other people? Are you selflessly laying down your life? Are you dying to yourself so that other people might experience life? When you think about your reach to people, the people that you wrote down to say, God, I want you to help me reach these people with the Gospel. You know how they'll most effectively see the light of the Gospel through you? 
when you lay down your life for them. Now, what is your life? Well, if you died today, what would you lose? You would lose your time. You would lose your energy. You would lose your possessions. You would lose your plans. What is it to lay down your life for someone else? It's to lay down those things for someone else. To say, I've got a plan to do this today, but I'm going to lay down my plan, die to my plan, and I'm going to do God's plan, which may be investing in the life of someone else. I'm going to give my time to you. I'm going to give my possessions to you. I'm going to give my energy to you. That it, that's what it is to die to me so that someone else experiences what Jesus' life is through me. You're never more Christ-like than when you're broken. In your attitude, in your activities, and in your actions. Letting go of your life. Laying down your life so that Jesus' life shines through you and reaches other people. That is the beauty of brokenness. Second thing that shines through you is faith in verses 13 and 14. Notice verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak. Now, when is faith most valuable to you? And when is faith mo most obvious to other people? Well, it's when the pressures and the persecutions and the perplexities of life crack you. He has a quote in this verse, and he's quoting David in Psalm 116. David says, I believed, therefore I spoke. If you go back and read Psalm 116, you'll find that David is saying this in the face of death. And here's what he says in the face of death. Psalm 116, verse 8, he says to God, you have rescued my soul from death. Now what's interesting is he says that before it happens. So it's a statement of faith. David says, I, death is right in front of me. I'm about to die, but I'm going to say, God, you've rescued me from death. That's faith. Now how do you have faith in the face of death. Well, look at verse 14. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Would you notice the word knowing? What do I know? That not only does death bring life in a spiritual sense in my life, but that my physical death will also bring life. I will rise again. Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. And knowing that promise, I speak that promise even in the face of death. Now there's an important order here that I want you to see. Because there are some preachers today who preach just the opposite of this. They say that whatever you speak, if you believe it, it will become a promise. That's not the pattern of Scripture. 
See, that's, that's having a genie and you rub the bottle and you come up with something and you speak it, believe it, and get it. The pattern here is, I know the promise of God and I believe the promise of God, therefore I speak the promise of God. The promise of God is that I know that I'll rise again because Jesus rose. I believe that by faith and I speak that even in the face of death. Now let me ask you a question. When does your faith shine brightest? Your faith shines brightest against dark clouds. You ever go look at jewelry in a jewelry store? They want to show you the jewelry. You know what they do? They pull out this black backdrop and they put, put it on that backdrop, that dark backdrop. Why? Because it makes the jewelry shine brighter. When does your faith shine brightest? Against the dark clouds and the dark circumstances of life. When life is killing you, when death is cracking you, that's when your faith can shine brightest. And that's when you can stand in the teeth of faith and say with Job, I know that my Redeemer lives. That's when you can stand in the teeth of faith and say with David, you have rescued my soul from death. That's when you can stand in the teeth of death and say with Paul, he who raised Jesus will raise me also. Does your faith shine when life is at its darkest? That's the beauty of brokenness. Third thing is grace. And that's the next word that jumps out in verse 15. Now what is grace? Well, grace is unmerited favor. If you want to understand grace, you just kind of compare it with mercy. Mercy is God not giving me what I do deserve. Grace is God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is when God doesn't give me the judgment that I do deserve. Grace is when He gives me all the blessings that I don't deserve. Grace is all that God does for us that we don't deserve, which by the way is everything God does for us. Now how is grace expressed by God? Well, to help you see that, let me, let me have you look at it from three angles this morning. First of all is past grace. When most of us think of grace, we think of it in the past tense. I was saved by grace. Ephesians 2.8 says, for by grace you have been saved. Most of us go back to our salvation and say that's the beginning of grace. That's not actually the beginning of grace. If you want to view grace in the past tense, let me give you a verse that will stretch your mind. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, which helps you understand grace. You see, grace is undeserved. We don't earn grace. It is a gift from God. He saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. You get that? Grace didn't start when you were saved. 
And grace didn't start at the cross. God enacted grace toward you before the beginning of time. Think about that. When you got it figured out, come tell me. Past grace. But there's also present grace. Past grace changed your life when you were saved, but God's grace doesn't end when you're saved. The Bible says we stand in grace. Romans 5.2 says we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. See, God not only saved you by grace, but He's still saving you by grace. You needed God's grace when you accepted Christ and you still need God's grace today. Amen? The only person who doesn't need God's grace is the person who never sins. Anybody qualify? Later in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, God's going to say, my grace is sufficient for you. That's present grace. So there's past grace. There's present grace. There's also future grace. John Piper wrote a book called Future Grace. He describes it this way. What is future grace? It is all that God promises to be for us from this second on. Saving faith means being confident and satisfied in this ever-arriving future grace. Gratitude for past grace was never meant to empower future obedience. Tomorrow's crisis demands tomorrow's grace. And faith that future grace will be there is the victory that overcomes the world. Grace is not just past and grace is not just present. Grace is also future. There's a great verse in Ephesians 2.7 and it says this, that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That tells me what heaven's going to be about. Heaven's going to be about God showing us more and more about the surpassing riches of His grace. And how's He going to show it? In kindness toward us. He's going to say, let me show you some more of my grace. And he'll shower it on you. And when you say, I think I've got that figured out, he's going to give you more grace and more grace and more grace. And what is it? It's the surpassing riches. It's infinite grace. So if you, throughout eternity, God's going to continue to show more and more and more grace toward you in kindness in Christ Jesus. Grace is not only past, and present, it's future. And you're going to experience it forever. Now why is it so important to understand future grace? Well, I think it's important because it helps you understand how amazing grace is. We can't really comprehend grace, but we have a tendency to kind of reduce everything about God down to terms we understand. So we understand past grace a little better than anything else, so we tend to look at grace as a past tense thing and then we try to comprehend it in our own terms and it oftentimes leads us to a faulty motivation to serve God. Have you ever heard or said this statement? 
because of God's grace, I must do everything I can to pay Him back. You ever heard that? Ever thought that? Ever said that? What's wrong with that? That's being motivated by a sense of obligation rather than a sense of love. You see, you can never pay back grace. Salvation by grace is a gift. And the problem is, when I say the word gift today, we have sort of tainted the whole idea of gift giving because we have the whole idea of uh, reciprocating. If somebody gives me a birthday gift, I write their name down and say, i got to give them a birthday gift. And I even look at the gift and kind of figure, what do you think that thing costs? Because I don't want to give them more than they gave me. Or if you give somebody a birthday gift and they don't give you one back, what do you think? It's the last time I'll give them a gift. We do it with hospitality. They had us over. We need to have them over. They took us out to eat. We took in that. Whose turn is it to pay? See, we reciprocate. But that's not the nature of a gift. A gift is given with no strings attached. No conditions. That's the nature of a gift. And when God gives a gift, that's the way He gives it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Just as there is nothing you can do to earn the gift, there is nothing you can do to repay the gift. There's a word for trying to impress God with what you do. And that word is legalism. And it never pleases God. Where do we get this faulty idea of sort of repaying God for His grace? Some of it comes from songs. The hymn, Come Thou Fount, has a verse that says, O to grace, how great a debtor daily I am constrained to be. A debtor is someone who owes someone and is obligated to pay them back. You see, we don't pay back grace. It's a gift. Remember this hymn? I gave, I gave my life for Thee. What hast Thou given for me? I bring, I bring rich gifts to Thee. What hast Thou given to me? The problem with that language is it makes God kind of involved in the game. Let's make a deal. You know, I'll give you grace if you'll give me this or if you'll give me that. You see, God gives grace because that's His nature. And anytime grace is conditional, it's no longer grace. John Piper said it this way, we are spring-loaded to conceive of our relationship to God in terms that focus on what He has done for us in the past and what we must now do for Him in the future by way of repayment. The effort to repay God in the ordinary way we pay creditors would nullify grace and turn it into a business transaction. If we see acts of obedience 
as installment payments, we must make, I'm sorry, if we see acts of obedience as installment payments, we make grace into a mortgage. Let us not say that grace creates debts. Let us say that grace pays debts. Past grace is glorified by intense and joyful gratitude. Future grace is glorified by intense and joyful confidence. You want a good hymn? Here it is. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That's past grace. Then it goes on to say, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far. That's present grace. And then here's future grace. And grace will lead me home. Grace past, grace present, grace future. You know why you can never repay God for His grace? Number one, because God paid a debt you can never pay. And number two, you can never pay God back for His grace because you haven't received all of His grace yet. And you never will because it's infinite. He's going to be giving it to you throughout eternity. You can never pay back something that you haven't even received all of yet. That's God's grace. And I hope that little theological point today allows you to find grace even more amazing than you did before. Now, the question I want to ask you is, look at verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks. How does grace spread to more and more people? Well, Paul says it spreads to more and more people when we do what Paul did at the beginning of verse 15. And what does he do at the beginning of verse 15? He says, for all things are for your sake. What is it when you do all things for others' sake? It's grace. You see, he had experienced grace, and now he was letting grace shine out of his life. And how does grace shine out of your life? When you do everything for everyone, expecting nothing in return. Because that's grace. And how do you do that? You only do that one way. By coming to the end of yourself. Because it's only God's grace that's going to produce that in you. And that's the beauty of brokenness. Fourth is thanksgiving in verse 15 again. Notice, for all things are for your sakes so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound. Grace is all God's doing, so who gets the thanks? He gets it all. So the more grace spreads, the more thanks abounds. And when does your thankfulness shine the brightest? When you're broken. When you're broken and circumstances are against you, guess what? People don't expect you to be thankful. So how can you be thankful in that situation? Well, because brokenness empties you of you. 
and allows God to fill you up. And Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 20 says, when you're filled with the Spirit, guess what one of the first results is? You're thankful in all things. So even in your brokenness, if you're emptied of yourself and you allow God to fill you up with His Spirit, you can be thankful even in the most difficult and trying times of life. And that's the beauty of brokenness. And then the fifth and final thing is glory in verse 15 again. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Why does God get all the glory? Because it's all His power. It's all His grace. It's all His life. So He gets the glory. Now let me ask you a question. Can God's glory shine out of you? Yes. Go back to verse 4 of this chapter and then move to verse 6. It says, For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Guess what? What shines out of you, the light that shines out of you, is the knowledge of the glory of God. It's not shining on you. It's shining out of you and giving glory to God. Now how do I glorify God? Go back to chapter 3 and verse 18. And notice what he says there. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. As I look in the mirror, which is the Word of God, and see the glory of Christ, it says I'm being transformed to become more and more like Christ. And he says it's from one glory to another glory. So you know how you glorify God? You become more like Him. And how do you become more like Him? You let Him shine through the cracks of your life. You let people see His sacrificial life in you. You let people see the faith that you have even in the face of death. You let people see grace coming out through you that you're doing all things for other people. You allow people to see your thanksgiving rising up to God even when you're crushed in a situation because He gets all the credit. That glorifies Him. Now let me close by saying this. God wants to shine through you. God wants to manifest His life, His power, His grace, His glory through you. And you know what you have to do to allow Him to do that? One simple thing. You have to be broken. So the question I want to ask you today is, have you experienced the beauty of brokenness? If you've never been broken, you won't equate beauty with brokenness. But if you've been broken, you know what beauty is because God shows up. There's another song that reflects this idea. Something beautiful 
something good. All my confusion He understood. All I had to offer Him was brokenness and strife. But He made something beautiful of my life. I want to challenge you today to do something that's not natural. And that is to say, God, break me. Break me. A lot of people like to pray, God, make me stronger. God doesn't want to make you stronger. God wants to make you weaker so that His power is evident in you. So God, break me of my pride. Break me of my self-confidence. Break me of my self-sufficiency. Break me today so that Your life is evident in the cracks of my life. Would you say that prayer to Him today? Let's stand. We're going to close. Have the praise team come back. As we're singing together, I want you to listen to God today and be honest with Him today as you really pray that simple prayer. God, break me so that Your power is on display in my life.